Well, it is good to be with you today. Um, and we're just plugging along, and now we're in James chapter 4. So let me go ahead, before I tackle anything else, invite you to join in looking at James chapter 4, 11 through 12. James chapter 4, 11 through 12. So two verses. And you know me, if we're only covering two verses, um, I won't be preaching more than about six minutes. Um, Oh, I lie. Um, it's an amazing passage. And as we look at James chapter 4, 11 through 12, um, we need to remember, this is James, and he's writing to believers. So uh, for some of you, you're going, okay, I don't even know really where I stand with God and with Christ, so where should I fall? How do I look at this, etc.? Um, well, we look at it, and, and we understand that James is writing to the believers. They've been scattered throughout, and he's writing to them, and he's encouraging them, but he's also saying, hey, listen, you need to know what God has called you to. Now, we've done this a lot here at CP, but let me show you the illustration here. Let's, uh, let's pretend that over here is God and over here is living a life of self, is Satan, etc. And a lot of us look at the two differences and we think that we live somewhere in the spectrum in the middle. And if we're, we kind of believe in God, but we're kind of, you know, we don't really care too much. We might place ourselves about right here. Some of you are going, well, I'm studying the Bible and I'm doing what I can. And we place ourselves about right here um, and everything in between. Biblically, that's not accurate. Biblically, there, is a, there, is not, there aren't two lines. There's one line and either you're living for God or you're not living for God. And people don't like to hear that. They don't like to process that because that means it's all or nothing. Why? Because even in my prayer, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about how we're, we're measured. Even in what we give to God, we're very measured in it. Right? We, we do it with everything. We like to have a definitive understanding of what we live by. Right? That's why we talk about it. it. We do it with finances. We do it in relationships. We do it with work. That's why it's interesting. Even when we say you need to tithe 10%, we do get that from the, from the Old Testament and from the Bible, yes. But really, if you look at it, they gave close to 30% in the Old Testament to different ways of giving back to God and to the priest. In the New Testament, be glad it's 10%, because in the New Testament, really what it is, hey, I want everything. And so, But we, we like to define things. That's how we are. We want to measure everything out. We want to measure I've done this much for someone, so why aren't they doing anything for me? We, we like to live that way. And so when it comes to this passage, I think we're going to, have to really evaluate where we stand with God, where we stand with Christ. And in order to do so, um, it's, I want us to first go back to November. In November, I was preaching on James chapter 3 and the power of words, the power of the tongue. And I want to go back. I want us to be reminded of some things that we've already heard. And, and hopefully it will spur you on a little bit and, and remind you of what God has called us to. First, we already know from Proverbs 18.21. There will be several verses you can write down today uh, to, to explain to take this afternoon, maybe later this week, to read through, to expand upon this passage. But we already know in Proverbs 18.21 that the tongue has power over life and death. The tongue, our words, have power over life and death. We understand this. We know that our words are a picture of our heart. Yes, um, our words reveal our heart, and we also even know that our words, they, they also inform our heart of what we believe and who we're going to be and who we're going to encourage others to, uh, to be. We know that our words matter. Uh, that's gotten around a good bit. I remember preaching that, and since every other day my staff reminds me 
I say, Joel, you're the one who says words matter, and they hold, that's just rude of them, but it's effective. Right? I'm like, oh, you guys listened. <laughs> um, words matter. Words matter in life. The words that you're speaking matter. And James chapter 3 certainly covered a lot of that for us. But one of the things that we have had to do when we're listening to James chapter 3 and even other passages as well, we've had to evaluate where our hearts are and if we're going to allow Christ to guide and influence who we are to other people. We're reminded that our tongue is capable of many things. We know from Proverbs 18.21, I've already told you that it has the power over life and death, but there's more to it than that. Our tongue can speak hatred. Our, our words can speak gossip and slander and encouragement. In fact, gossip and encouragement are the two ways that we primarily identified what our words can be used for. I'll share just a couple of passages on each of those, just so you can write those down if you weren't here that week. Um, one, our words can, can gossip. Proverbs 11.13. Proverbs 11.13 says that a gossip portrays a confidence. But a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Proverbs 16.28 says that a perverse man stirs up dissension. And a gossip separates close friends. So our words can certainly speak gossip. They can also speak encouragement, though. Right? So in Romans chapter 12, 7 and 8, it says, it's speaking about the gifts and the ones that people have. And if you have the gift of serving, let him serve, it says. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. And so we're even instructed to encourage in that way. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. They're already building up, and now they're being instructed to build each other up even more. And so our words do matter, and we're reminded of this. And that's really what James chapter 4, 11 and 12 get at. They really drive home this idea, this mentality, this thinking that our words matter, that we have to understand it. And so here's what it is. James chapter 4, 11 and 12. I'd like to read the word of God this morning, of course. It says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law. And judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now there's... Uh, many parallel passages to James chapter 4, 11 through 12. One of the parallel passages I would pull out right away uh, would be Romans chapter 16, 17 through 18. So um, it's certainly one I would encourage you to go read later. I'll, I'll share a portion of it with you here in just a moment. But Romans 16, 17 through 18, words of Paul. This is what he says. He says, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. 
What he's saying is, hey, you better watch out for people who are slandering, who are gossiping and, and causing dissension. That's that Proverbs passage is that a gossip separates close friends. What I want you to do is he says, I want you to turn away from them. Have nothing to do with them because they're, they're nothing but trouble. That's what he's communicating. That can be hard to, to process, right? He says, for such men are slaves. And yes, we are slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, they're not slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are slaves to their own appetites, meaning they only care about self. So one of the things he's jumping into right away is, hey, if you're slandering and if you're judging other people and speaking about other people, you're actually a slave to self and you only care about self because you have no desire to build them up in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's why I have been, that right there is why I've been so excited to preach today. Because it's so convicting. And you go, wow. We think about that. It says, for such men are slaves not of our Lord but of their own appetites. By their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive their hearts of the unsuspecting. And so how do we absorb knowing that that's part of the, the fallen nature, the sinful nature. It's the fall of man. Book of Genesis. Knowing that that's who we are. How do we process, hey, don't slander one another. If you speak against someone else, you're judging the law. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it. You're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver who can save or destroy, and it's not you. So get over yourself. Right? Really? This, this is, this is the, the words that James is writing to believers who have been scattered. And he's instructing them, guys, make sure that you're representing Christ. Here's, here's the gist of what I think we're needing to process is that James, this, this is for the believer. So if you're not a believer, you can't say it like this. But for the believer, for the disciple, knowing that your greatest um, worth is already in Christ, at that point, your greatest investment is people. So hear that. People are our greatest investment. People are our greatest investment, right? If, if my retirement, my portfolio, or whatever it is, right, um, if those $12 goes up or, up or down, I know. I'm going, okay, wait a second. I'm down to eleven twenty-five, honey. That's half of one mil, right? Like we want to know how it's doing. We want to know if it's going up or down, and we want to look at that. Why? Because it's important to us. And the only reason we ignore other people, the only reason we slander other people, the only reason we really judge other people for the believer is because we don't recognize that they're the greatest investment that we have. And that we should have a heart for them because we ourselves know that our own brokenness and our own misery and our own sin, what it led to with Jesus Christ and what he saved us from and the joy that he has now poured into our life and the love and the mercy he has poured into our life. And so as a result of that, we want as many people at his feet worshiping and praising him. And so we want to make sure that we communicate to everybody the love and the power of God. And so why would you tear them down? It's because you don't understand that people are our greatest investment for the believer. That people are our greatest investment. And so he's reminding them. Don't slander one another. Handle this investment with others well. 
So there's a few things I want us to make sure that we grab today about slander and about judging and about speaking ill of other people. And so there's three primary different things. I'm going to break them down a little bit. And here's the very first one that you're going to see there on the notes, that, that we are to build others up in Christ rather than criticizing them out of jealousy or bitterness or selfish ambition. And that's what I want to make sure that the, this first part that you understand. We are to build others up. Underline that if you would. Box it. Highlight it. Text it to all your friends. We need to build each other up. We need to build others up. Why? Because love doesn't tear them down. It builds them in Christ. I often communicate. It's, if, if you're beginning a statement with, can you believe, then you probably shouldn't be speaking. You ever done that before, right? Can you believe such and such did this? Or can you believe that, that this person did this? Can you believe, I, I would tell you, just don't. Don't go down there. Don't, don't let yourself move in that direction. Can you believe, can you believe that someone wore something like that? Can you believe that they said what they said? Just don't go there. Because what you're doing, you're not building them up. You're tearing them down. And you're criticizing them out of jealousy or out of bitterness or out of selfish ambition. Did you know pretty much every single time someone slanders someone else, it's in order to build them their own selves up? That's, that's how you're trying to make yourself look better or feel better. I'm just going to shred them to pieces and I'm going to tear them down and it's going to make me look better. And then you actually feel better about it. It's a vicious cycle that we live in. And yet here's James going, no, stop slandering other people. Slander To slander means to damage one's reputation by sharing false or deliberately misleading information. It means you don't have the whole story, but you don't care that you don't have the whole story. You're just going to share what you know, and then later on when someone calls you out for it, you're going to go, well, I didn't know all that. Well, you shouldn't have spoken about it to begin with. You're sharing ill of someone else to make yourself look good and to put the other person in a bad light. All right? It's just natural who we are because of sin. We, we need to understand that. I was even going, I told my wife, I was like, man, I should dress up a certain way that they're not accustomed to because as soon as they see me, especially newer people, they're going to make a judgment about me. It's because I was going to wear skinny jeans. I was. I don't own any. Um, so what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to take paper clips and just pull them all back and like, like, right? And I knew that all of you would judge me. And so I was going to wear like a really cool like, like baseball hat. I don't wear baseball hats because my wife says I look 11 when I wear a baseball hat. And so she's like, yeah, let's, let's oh. I love it with my wife. This is how she reprimands me and she encourages me. She goes, oh, that means whatever I'm doing, stop. <laughs> she's like, good try. No. Um, aw. Um, so I was going to wear skinny jeans. I was like, I could wear skinny jeans and a really cool hat and all this. And then as soon as I walk out, they, could, they would certainly judge me. And then I could take it all off. And then she's like, no, you can't take off your pants. Right? It, was just a, it just went south. But I'm looking and I'm thinking about all that. And I'm going, that's what you would do, though. You would automatically make a judgment of me. Or I could wear something else. It doesn't have to be skinny jeans. It could be anything. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm not making fun of anybody who wears skinny jeans. I'm just saying I will look horrible in them. 
And I go, okay, wait, what is it? What does that look like? And so why is it that automatically we make an assumption about somebody else and we even speak poorly of them as soon as we do it? And it's because we're focused on self rather than Christ. If we're really honest about it, we need to be building others up, building others up, building others up. Say it over and over again. One of the most powerful illustrations somebody shared with me, they were like, oh, I was on the radio and um, someone was, maybe you heard this, I didn't hear it, I heard it via communication between the two services. Um, somebody was talking about it and saying, hey, somebody's password on their uh, computer is forgive her so that they would be reminded to forgive their spouse every day because they're always typing in forgive her, forgive her. And maybe that's our password. I can't use it now because you all know what it is, but build others up. And so you're reminding yourself that instead of tearing down, you need to be building others up, but in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the second thing that we have to get to, is we are to hold others accountable by godly standards. We judge others by human standards. So I want you to see the difference here. We're ju- when we judge others, we're doing that out of human standards. But yet what we're to be doing is holding others accountable by godly standards. So I want to sp- break this down in two different ways. I want us to look first, we're going to look at godly standards that are mentioned here, and then we're going to look at human standards. So godly standards, th- this text doesn't mean that we're not to hold other believers accountable. It does not mean that. We are to hold other believers accountable. But it even tells us in uh, Matthew chapter 18, right? Matthew 18, 15 through 18 tells us how we are to hold other believers accountable. We go to them, if we see something that is uh, disheartening or concerning about their spiritual growth and who they are in life, um, integrity, their ethics, maybe it's about a spouse or a loved one or a friend, we're to go to them individually and say, hey, this is something that I'm seeing. And often I tell people, ask questions. We know questions, when you ask questions, it opens the door to conversations in a healthy relationship. When you make statements, it does what? It closes them. And so you ask questions so you can learn the whole story. What's taking place in their life? What's happening in their life? And so we go and we ask those questions, and, and, and a lot of times they'll be repentant of that. They'll go, yeah, thank you so much. I need this. Can you help me? If they're not, that's arrogance, that's pride, that's sin in their own life. And so you're to take a brother or sister with you to go to them. This is Matthew chapter 18. So we know that this doesn't mean that we don't hold others accountable. It means, though, that we have to confront fellow Christians who sin in the proper way. And when you slander someone, when you speak evil, that's literally one of the definitions of what it means. When you're speaking evil, wow, what a definition. When you speak evil of someone, often it's just a cowardly way to deal with an emotion or problem that you have with someone else. Some people say, I I could never confront anyone about their sin because we're not supposed to judge others. That's not what this is saying. For the believer, we are to hold each other accountable. You have to know the difference between living according to human standards and living according to godly standards. Biblical accountability is a biblical responsibility. Biblical accountability is a biblical responsibility. And if someone's not receptive of that, then really what you have to do is you have to walk away And instead of talking with someone else about how they're not receptive to it, you need to pray for them. 
You need to go and you need to pray for them that their hearts would be made right with God. Not in a judging way, but because you hunger that they would be in a holy and a righteous relationship with God. That they would be seeking to put down self and to put on Christ. For we know that we are a new creation in Him. And the goal of that, in that godly standard, is restoration. The goal is restoration. The, the goal of any accountability is restoration and to point people to Jesus and to help them live in a better relationship with the Almighty. That's the goal of it. That's what our desire is, is restoration. It tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that Christians are to restore fellow Christians who fall into sin. So I, I know that this is about don't slander, don't judge, but often what we have made that is, oh, I'm not going to have to worry about anybody else and what they do, so I'm just going to speak about them poorly, but I'm never going to help them grow spiritually. You don't understand Christ and what he has done for you and his instruction if that is your mentality. We've got to broaden ourselves and understand that's not what he's saying. We're to hold others accountable by godly standards, and yet when we judge others, that's human standards. I want to speak about that for just a moment. Human standards. We often judge based on our own fears and insecurities. There are so many stories I could tell you. You know, the one I'll tell you, I've mentioned before, I'll tell you briefly. I remember being in, in a church, pastoring that church. Um, this is my third church to be the lead pastor, and over the last 15 years, I've learned so much in that journey. And I'm at one place, and a, a third of the community, and uh, forgive me, I know some of you have heard this, but a third of that community has to have government assistance to feed their children. One third. It's well over twice the national average. And basically, you would walk into that church, and you would know that if you don't have a suit and tie on, you're not welcome there. And so I said, I'm not doing this anymore. They can't afford to feed their children. I'm not going to make them go buy a suit when I assure you they don't have a suit. And so I stopped wearing suits. And I started wearing skinny jeans. I'm just kidding. Um, I would just take the jacket off, have a tie on, and sometimes just the jacket on. And I would try to fool them uh, different ways. And just I wanted people to know that they could still come. The church is growing, doing all these things. You would not believe the hate mail, the hatred I would receive from people about that. And it's making a judgment, not learning the entire story of going, hey, here's the, can I tell you the reason why? And I would speak it, but they wouldn't listen to it. And I would say, this is why, because we care about people more than we do about our clothes. They don't even know Jesus. I just care about people coming to know Jesus. They can figure out what Jesus wants them to wear later on. And that's what we end up doing. Those are human standards, and we're judging them out of our own sense of fear and insecurity because we think we were, maybe you were brought up in a way that if you don't wear something specific, then you can't worship God. And that's one of the things that even the Pharisees struggled with. They started creating hundreds of man-made rules that they expected people to follow rather than following biblical rules. And they just started making up different rules. That was a struggle that Jesus had with the Pharisees, very simplistically stated. Paul speaks about that a good bit. Also, we know that he does. In Romans, um, Romans 14, uh, people are struggling with those who are eating meat. And he's like, hey, listen, this is the real issue here. And it's because of all these human standards that were built. 
And so they kept having to deal with this. And what we are doing today is often we're slandering and we're judging others because we're looking at their lives based on what we desire and our own fears and our insecurities rather than seeing them for who they can become in Christ. Those are human standards. What we say about others actually says more about us. Wayne Dyer says, he's a a leader and an author, he says, when you judge one another, you do not define them, you define yourself. Our judgments of others typically affirm our own self-image. We rip someone up so that we can feel better. And so we are to build others up. We're to hold others accountable by godly standards. Highlight it, circle it, whatever you have to do. That one section. Hold others accountable by godly standards. And then we're to actively love others with our words. Actively love others with our words. James chapter 4 verse 12 says, There's only one lawgiver and judge, you heard it previously, the one who is able to save and to destroy If another person has wronged you, you don't need to judge that person because God will take care of it. Don't worry. Instead, what you need to be doing is praying for them. That's why on the Sermon on the Mount, very first time Jesus comes out beside the Sea of Galilee to all these people, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he tells them, pray for your enemy. He doesn't say, speak about your enemy, gossip about all the things they do wrong. He says, pray for them. He doesn't go into more explanation than that. He just says, pray for him. You don't have to worry about the judging. God will take care of it. We are to pray for them. And I know that I'm speaking this as James is writing to believers. I know that the majority of people in this room are believers. And so that's why I'm speaking to you as believers that we need to stop judging and slandering. We need to love people. We need to hold other believers accountable to Christ. And our people, the people in our lives are your greatest investment. The people that God has put in your life as neighbors or colleagues or anything else are your greatest investment. What are you doing with that investment? Are you being a good steward of your relationships? Are you being a good steward of your relationships? And this is what I'd like to ask you to do. Maybe, maybe we could do this as a church. This would be great. Can we all give other believers permission right now to hold us accountable, to not speak slander or to judge anybody else? Could we do that? I feel kind of, when I say that in front of a group like this, I feel like it's unfair because you can't really respond back. It's kind of a hard thing to say no to. But how about we just let me take that privilege today. Can we all agree that we need to be held accountable to not slander and to not judge and rather build others up in the name of Jesus Christ, seeing them for who they can become in Christ rather than who they are according to their own sin? Can we, can we do this? Because that right there will be a witness and a powerful example in a community. And it will alter the way people see us and even the message that they hear coming from our lips. Don't say, oh, I just want you to know God. And then turn around at the water cooler and say, hey, did you see what such and such was wearing? Shut up. No wonder they call us hypocrites. And I know that we always will be. But let's reflect Christ in our words about other people. 
You don't ever know who's standing in front of you and the pain that they have in life. And too many times I hear people say, well, you don't know what my boss has done or you don't know what my employer has done. They haven't done this or they haven't done this. You don't know what they're walking through. Love them. The Word of God says pray for them. Before you speak about anything in an elder meeting at this church, you have to know that you've prayed about it. That's why we have an elder retreat coming up. I encourage you to pray for it. Those are really important times for this church. I take everybody off site for a night and we head out. And we go and we pray, and a week before I send them the agenda, because if you haven't prayed about it, don't speak about it. I don't want your preference. I don't want your opinion. I want what God desires. And so we're to actively love others with our words, not tear them down, beat them up. We are to see others for who they can become in Christ rather than who they are in themselves. We need to actively care. And then what he does at the very end of this, isn't this just a joyous message? This is what he says. And we're going we're gonna to conclude with this, and the team will come back out. But it says, this convicting, pointed question. Maybe this is what we just tell everybody, people, everybody that we encounter who are believers, when they start speaking and slandering and judging others. It says, but... Who are you to judge your neighbor? That's what it says. Part of what he's saying here is, don't you understand how arrogant you are if you think you have a right to judge someone else? Who are you? Who are you? To do such a thing. One of the things that I have learned in life, you can learn a lot about someone's spiritual maturity based on how they receive truth. I've learned that with, with my kids as they grow up and they mature and become adults. And I start looking at those kind of things and I think that for those of us who really, if we've really completely surrendered our lives to God, then this is a really easy message. Because we just want to reflect Jesus in everything that we say. But one of my greatest prayers for this church and for this entire area is that we would no longer measure how much God we will allow in our lives and that we would just humble ourselves before him and say, have all of us. You see, as soon as you justify sin, well, yeah, I spoke about them because I was just, I'm concerned about them. As soon as we start to justify, at the root of that is you haven't surrendered everything to Jesus. That's the root of it. God desires more. God desires more. 
maybe I just need to encourage you to keep doing what you do for me. I can't tell you the amount of encouragement that I receive to just keep preaching the truth. To keep praying, to keep leading as best I can according to the will of God. I, I get it so much. I want to say thank you. And really what I'm doing is I'm asking you to do that as much as possible for others. Because that's what changes lives. That's what God uses to instill hope in others. To build them up, to hold them accountable to truth, and to love them in radical ways. Keep doing it so that God would receive the glory. God, we come before you. We give you thanks for your word and for your truth. God, I pray you do some pretty radical heart change today. Is this a hard message to hear? It's convicting. May we love you more than self. In Christ's name.